Hi, welcome to episode 10 of The Distance Diaries. My name's Natalia, I live in Mexico City. My name's Fraser and I live in London and we're delighted to be at the 10th episode. It's gone by very fast, but hopefully we'll have many, many more. Yeah, 10 weeks, that's crazy. Yeah, so Natalia, have you been up to anything interesting in particular this week? Well, um, I'm not sure if it's that interesting. I went to a market. It, it was sort of it, it was called Mercado Cero. It's a zero waste market in Mexico. I think they do it maybe every month, every two months. I'm not sure. Probably should have checked that. But if you're in Mexico City, uh, you should go. It's massive. It was in the Blackberry Auditorium in Condesa, and it was just this massive thing full of sustainable things and things to make your life more sustainable. So. I bought a few cactuses made with really nice pots. Um, my sister bought some alternatives to plastic wrap. We got bags for our fruit and veg. We got lots of things that are sort of sustainable. And so that was, it was a really cool nice. market. It had some really cool things. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, what about you, Fraze? So, yeah, not too much for me. Um, went up to frank's cafe in peckham which is a nice rooftop with a good view that's a bit of a bit of a sunday routine um for me now yeah it seems well once every few weeks anyway which is nice yesterday was out at a summer picnic slash festival for not for my company but for a friend's company which is a financial services company i'm not going to say the name but um yeah, my friend friend of mine <laughs> kindly invited me, so we went out there, and there was kind of it was it was just a huge, I guess a huge picnic is the best way to describe it, but with really nice food, nice drinks, all all provided, and sort of actors and spectacles. Yeah, all kinds of different spectacles, and people just walking around, and um, yeah, very nice, and the weather was was good as well for that. Um, apart from that, I went to quite a nice pub in the city where I met an old colleague, um, but I can't remember what it was called, so never mind. It was <laughs> Great a Fuller's recommendation. Pub. Yeah, it was a it was a Fuller's pub, and Fuller, okay. Fuller's are nice. They're they're good good. Um, they always have good drinks in those pubs, um, so that was good. Well, it sounds like a nice summery week for you. Yeah. So yeah, what have you been enjoying this week in terms of media? Yeah, so I actually just earlier today, this just popped into my head. I read an interview with Christine and the Queen's front woman, uh, Chris, whose real name is Heloise. But anyway, she's kind of going by the name Chris now. That's she's, really weird. <laughs> yeah, I think I think her second album is either just out or it's coming out pretty soon. But I, I like the first album, so it was kind of interesting reading that interview. It was in the Sunday Times. Uh, if anyone wants to go and check that out, uh, if you're a fan of her. Also, yeah, it's been quite a musical week, so there were some releases that I was pretty keen on. Uh, Laney, American band, um, electronic pop, Through These Tears. It's like their comeback song after sort of coming back for their second album after their first one. That's a good song. Uh, the 1975 new song, Love If We Made It, very distinctive, new very sound. Good. Yeah, very different as well. Very different, yeah. Very you, you different. Can, in the sort of background of the song, you can still hear very 975 sounds, but it's a very different beat, I think. Yeah, for sure. And the vocals are quite um, distinctive as well, quite yeah. different. So that that's a good one. And then also one artist which uh, who I hadn't come across before, uh, is I think he's from Australia. 
I was going to say Australia or New Zealand, but I think that's offensive if you say that. But I, I think he's, <laughs> he's... I'm not actually sure that's really bad. Anyway, he's called Future Junior. And he's got a song out called Changing. He's got some other songs. Again, it's kind of... If you're a fan of Laney or other indie pop kind of artists, if you're a fan of the 1975 or as well, or bands like that, you'd probably, probably be into that song. Future Junior, Changing, that's a good one. Um, and yeah, that's about it from me, really. What about you? Okay. Uh, well, I, in terms of the new Nine Seventy Five song just came out, I read the Guardian's interview with Matthew Healy. Yes, I read a lot of Guardian interviews. They're very good. They're music <laughs> ones. So, I kind of wanted to to read a quote again from Matthew Healy that I thought was very interesting in in, in the interview, speaking of what he fears online because the entire new album is about what's it called a brief inquiry into online relationships so it's yeah. about being online and speaking of what he fears online he said the denouncement of people for human error or saying something that isn't in the rigid confines of what we accept to be progressive and woke and i thought it was very interesting because that is something that happens online a lot if it's not within the scheme of what we think is woke people just go at it and abuse the person who said it and I think that that is a little bit of a fear that people have so I thought it was interesting yeah. for him to say yeah I think that's kind of um kind of interesting as well because he obviously now he's at such a point you could say in his career where he has to be quite careful about what he says mm. especially around political things I know I think this was a little while back he tweeted something about Israel and Palestine oh no um, don't and do it, that. yeah I mean it wasn't I don't think it was particularly controversial but anyway it was picked up <laughs> by people on both sides um yeah. and again I think yeah I think he, he's kind of getting to the point where he's he's realizing that whilst himself trying to be incredibly progressive at the same time yeah I mean he does have a lot of progressive songs and stuff, oh, yeah. but I think <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And even during the interview, he keeps saying things like, don't don't listen too much to what I say. I'm, I'm, I am just a, a white guy. But he says, it, he says it not in a way of like, oh, because I'm a white guy, it don't matter. He genuinely said it in a sort of almost self-deprecating way of like, don't listen to me too much. Like right. what I say is not that important. So I feel like he is very aware that everything can be used against him, I yeah. suppose. But yeah, I've also been reading a book called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. I thought I'm the last person on earth to read this, but I have been really enjoying it. I have, I'm nearly, I'm about to finish it. And yeah, I, I started out not loving the main character. Uh, she's very different to what you normally read. And now I kind of, I really love her. So I've, I've enjoyed going through the journey with the book. I also watched a Netflix show called Sugar Rush. And it's all right. It's all right. It's um, if you miss the Bake Off and you need your fix of baking shows, I would say watch it. It, it is a, a decent baking show. It's no Bake Off, but it's a decent baking show. Is it is it American or is it British? It's as American. Well? Yeah, you've got American. one of the judges is Adriana Zumbo, who's Australian, but the show is very right. very American. Um. And I have continued cool. to watch Love Island, and I don't mention it a lot on the podcast, even though I have I watch it pretty much every day. But yeah, it's just what has called out to me this week on Love Island is the amount of abuse that people who watch it have been sending the twitters of the people in there, and I just I don't think that's right. Maybe I'll come up with an article to write about that, but 
Yeah. Yeah, you There's should. just been a lot of just bullying from people on the outside. Yeah. And I think that that's really wrong. But yeah, anyway, stop bugging Laura about her age, please. <laughs> she's 29, she's <laughs> not 65. Right, moving on. So moving on, we've, as usual, we've got kind of two topics that we're going to look at in a little bit more depth. The first of which is something that uh, has been, I suppose, if you're British in particular, in the news of late, um, which is basically about the NHS and, and healthcare. I think it's actually the 70th anniversary since the um, kind of creation mm. of the NHS. That's why it's been Everywhere. been in, in the news, yeah, sort of over the course of the last few months, really. But we wanted to ask the question of how do you make or how do we make or how do, does anyone make healthcare fair? Um, and so, yeah, we kind of gathered a, a few thoughts around that. Yeah, uh, so I, I've i had healthcare in my mind lately and it probably is because of the 70th anniversary of the NHS and it sort of bled into American media as well into how their healthcare works and it makes me think about Mexican healthcare. So it's been, it's been on my mind and obviously we cannot... Even in like the 40 minutes that this podcast normally lasts, we can't really explain in depth how healthcare systems work because it is such a complex yeah. thing. But we thought maybe... I think um, for the 80th anniversary, we'll do an <laughs> NHS special. In 10 years. So look forward to that one, yeah. <laughs> Where we will explain it in depth. But it's quite hard to explain systems in depth. We just thought, sort of overall, uh, we'd talk a little bit about it and... I think Fraser being very analytical, he thought about some ways where how you can make healthcare a fair system to people because there's so much that goes into healthcare. And I think, in my opinion, and I don't know if you agree with me, it should be at the forefront of government's priorities, really. Because morally, to me, it just seems clear that everyone should have access to healthcare and it should be a priority for government. Yeah, and I think that's potentially where both Mexico and the UK differ mm. to some extent with the US and other places. So I think the UK specifically sits in a kind of family of healthcare systems that are similar yeah. to places like Australia. Like It's similar to countries that have maybe more of a socialist outlook yeah. on healthcare specifically. Yeah. Yeah, potentially, certainly more so than the US. But I think, I guess, the reason why it's such a difficult issue is because, well, just to kind of set the scene, it's an issue where you've got both yeah. a kind of moral component as well as a financial component. So you have to set a point at which, yes, the government will pay for X, Y, Z, but it won't pay for something else because ultimately... In theory, the amount you can spend on healthcare is almost unlimited because there's always more treatments that can be tried. There's always more. You could always have more doctors. You can always pay to train more nurses, etc. So that's why it's such a difficult issue is that being able to set that spending amount in a way that that is fair is seen. I suppose seen to be fair, but that also provides kind of an adequate level of care is so hard. And it's interesting that you mentioned that you think it should be at the forefront of a government's policy or yeah. thinking or, you know, discussions or priorities. Definitely in the UK, they say, that is kind of said, I'm not sure who came up with this, but 
effectively it said that the NHS is the national religion of the UK. As I the, think as, it is, honestly. Yeah, as, as kind of Christianity has become sort of like less yeah. and less a key to, to sort of daily life. The NHS is something where, you know, all the political parties basically back the idea of free access to healthcare at the point of use. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, basically every study recently has shown that although people kind of to some degree acknowledge there are problems with the way it's funded and the way it works, people fundamentally don't want to change the founding principles. Yeah, which is everyone should have access to healthcare. And I think in the US, they have a bit of a different idea of healthcare in terms of it, it should be more dominated by markets, maybe. I don't know. And I feel like apart from sort of their Medicaid program, which is very flawed in itself, um, it's quite expensive to, to get healthcare in the US many times. Whereas in the UK, it's, it's free. And that also presents some problems, like too many people go for... Because in the UK, it's free. Say I have a common cold, I could just be like, oh, I'm just going to see my GP just to see if I'm okay. But I don't need that appointment and I'm taking time away from the GP. So I feel like that does happen in the UK and there's a lot of demand for healthcare in terms that a lot of them aren't emergencies, that it takes away from actual emergencies sometimes. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, ultimately, if something is free, it's like the laws of supply and demand dictate that there's going to be too much demand for mm. it if something's free. Um, and so that that's, I suppose, the balance that has to be struck is between offering something for free, so there's always going to be so much demand. How do we then decide how much we can kind of yeah. pay for and, and offer people? Um, yeah. Whereas in... Sorry. Go, go I think ahead. what happens to me with healthcare in america is that by america i do mean the u.s <laughs> just so people know um <laughs> i think what happens to me is that if i read broadly what mexican healthcare is trying to do and what uk healthcare is trying to do i sort of get it with america with with the u.s i just don't really get it like it, with the u.s it just feels like the principles of it are made so that not everyone has access to it and I'm just going to, I know that people so sort of broadly know how the NHS works and how maybe American healthcare sort of works in, in, with insurance and stuff. I, I want to say a little bit how the Mexican one works. So in Mexico, you've got a lot of private hospitals, like two thirds of hospitals are private and most of it is paid with out of pocket. Most people in Mexico don't have insurance. By most, I mean 90% of people in Mexico don't have insurance. And mm. then you have something called Seguro Popular, so popular insurance, which covers people that are unemployed. So it covers healthcare for people that are unemployed. For people that are employed, you've got another service. And for people who are employed by the government, you've got another service. So you've got kind of various government services that make sure that everyone has access to healthcare. Now, how that works in Mexico with corruption is very different and it is an absolute mess. The state of the state of oh, public no. hospitals is a mess. But broadly the system sort of makes sense because it's trying to get healthcare to everyone. Now our government officials don't really care about the citizens, so that's a different problem. But I feel like <laughs> in the US the idea of the healthcare system is almost made so that people don't have access to it. Yeah, so what's actually interesting 
um, which which was something that we were doing some research about, is that the US actually spends more than double the average percentage yeah. of its total gross domestic product GDP or total income as a percentage on healthcare than the average developed country, which is really surprising, right? Because you think, well, the US is third parties, mm. it's private, it's a, it's, but in fact, the government is actually spending a lot of money and it seems to be from the research that we've done down to kind of a few main yeah. reasons why healthcare is so expensive. And it's partly uh, about one thing, which is not, not necessarily a bad thing, but they have um, a lot of US healthcare spending comes from things like physicians and specialised sort of consultants mm. and people like that who just come at a higher price effectively than being seen by a sort of standard kind of medical professional or nurse. So that's one thing. But the other sort of thing which has various sub points is that because of the involvement of so much kind of private business in the US health system, simply money is lost due to both administrative complexity and companies yeah. making money from from healthcare. So whether that's insurance companies who want to insure people who they know are not likely to get sick so they can make money off them and hence there's a bit of money a kind of taken made. yeah a profit is mm. made on every person effectively um who who buys health insurance or who gets it from from their company and so buys it indirectly and then also drug companies make uh, a charge more to the charge yeah. more in the US so branded drugs are more common there apparently and that comes with a higher cost um, and also just the administrative complexity of having multiple insurers with multiple yeah. packages for an entire population is apparent, well, or in theory to cover an entire population, it costs somehow costs more than having the government administer an entire citizen scheme as it is in, in the UK and Mexico, for example. Yeah, and I feel like also the reason the reason why I say it almost sounds like in the US they don't want people to have access is because... Even in Mexico, at least we have the popular insurance, which means unemployed people can get healthcare. In the US, with Medicaid, which is meant to make sure that poor people get healthcare, the government has started proposing that one of the eligibility criteria for Medicaid should be that the person receiving healthcare has to be employed. And the reason why they say this, and I, I saw this in a New York Times article, the reason why they say this is that gainful employment is key to healthy living. Higher earnings have been tied to longer lifespans and unemployment to shorter ones. And you kind of have to wonder, is it, maybe it's the other way around. Really, higher earnings just mean you can afford healthcare, so you have higher lifespans. And that is exactly why med Medicaid should have been created, because unemployed people don't get healthcare, they have short lifespans right i don't know it just feels kind of twisted and kind of they just don't want yeah. people to get healthcare. <laughs> yeah i mean ultimately insurers want to insure working people because they're healthier right and so they're less likely to have to pay out for treatment so it comes back to what we said about yeah but that's just morally so wrong yeah it's it comes back to to profit kind of as as we said which is that that's where the, the dilemma comes from, I suppose. And what happens is a lot of times people who are ill cannot get a job, so they need healthcare, and you're telling them that they can't because they don't have a job. Like, it's just... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like in yeah. the UK, 
the NHS just means that you will get healthcare. It doesn't matter what state you're in, you will get yeah. healthcare. And I just think that that's just morally better. And hmm. I think what happens in Mexico, the immorality in the Mexican healthcare system is that a lot of the money that is given to the healthcare system is stolen uh, by, by government officials, which means right. that hospitals are in a state. And if you go to a public hospital, there's queues and queues and queues and there's no doctors and there's no beds and a lot of people don't even trust their, their doctors. Like it's, it's because no one's paid enough in the system because mm. money is stolen. So the immorality comes not from the law itself, but from officials yeah, and maybe just a lack of a lack of funding in general, I suppose. Yeah, but we kind of wanted to what we kind of wanted to come to is how do you make it fair and how do you make it sort of work and what proposals could there be to make it work? I don't know what you think, Fraser. Yeah, so I think we we touched on a bit about kind of the fairness, and I think we're sort of in in agreement about that. But I thought what was was interesting is the effectively all the forecasts suggest that the NHS is going to, and, and most sort of Western healthcare systems are going to need a lot more money because mm. mostly because of the shifting demographics of the population. So you have a lot more older people who need care basically, but who yeah. aren't paying income taxes to fund that. So that obviously creates a big funding problem, but actually I tried to think of some reasons to be optimistic about healthcare in the future yeah so came up with some some ideas so i've come up with two solutions and or pos- reasons to be positive and they both revolve around i suppose technology so mm. the first one is with medicines and the availability of treatments potentially the cost of producing and carrying out certain treatments and providing certain drugs will come down simply because of new kind of technologies and opportunities to produce things more in a you know mass scale and more easily yeah um however that's sort of slightly countered by the fact that as we develop these new technologies you get more complex treatments and those cost a lot of money so there's treatments that are available now at great expense to governments but they do they do cost a lot so yeah maybe that's not the the most kind of obvious way to sort of help i actually think that automation and sort of more the sort of technology that we might be kind of familiar with in day-to-day life is quite a, a, a good way so rather than going to a gp and having all the kind of facilities and everything available a lot of appointments can be done virtually and yeah. in theory instantly you know whether it's on your phone or speaking sort of face-to-face with a gp over over skype that's kind of solves what we were saying of there's too much demand for very small illnesses that aren't an emergency if you could just do it through tech you wouldn't have to take time off a gp's hands yeah exactly and in theory there'll be a lot of automatic diagnosis so if you wear an apple watch or anything like that it tracks kind of some of your health things imagine that but in five ten years time what Mm. that sort of technology is going to be able to do um, and potentially give you the answers to common questions and get you hooked up with even prescriptions and, and everything that you need yeah. and diagnosis without having to see someone all the time and be sort of using those resources. And I think also if you have 
and this is this is going a bit further down the line, but if you have more machines and robots within hospitals, <laughs> within health in general, you're going to reduce the amount of kind of time and, you know, energy, physical human energy that's needed maybe to provide certain kinds of care. Some people see that automatization as something bad because you're taking jobs away. But in reality, you need more people that aren't there. So you probably do need some help. Yeah. Some extra help. Yeah. But yeah, I think that is true. I think technology could solve a lot of things. What what does worry me sometimes is that we tend to have technology to solve a lot of problems, but we don't use it to solve a lot of problems. I think probably the NHS would, but again, I'm worried about more market-led places because they will probably make people pay a lot for technology. And again, you're going to be left with the same system where only rich people yep. get healthcare. <laughs> mm. So it's, yeah. it's, it's still difficult. more a conundrum. Very difficult. <laughs> Cool. So we didn't come up with us. We don't ha really have a solution for healthcare. We just thought we'd give you an overview of what it's looking like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very difficult. So now on to our second question for today's episode. And yeah, obviously decided as usual to move on to something a little bit lighter. Um, yes. In particular, today we were thinking about the topic of how to make a house a home or how to yeah how to customize your living space yeah and even if it's a rented flat especially because i feel like a lot of people have that problem where you rent you don't buy so you can't really make it into a home because it's not yours yeah exactly and in my case it's taken me nearly a year at my current rented place for it to actually be starting Feel to more, look like yeah. my my own space which is not not great and maybe I should have thought about this a bit before I started thinking about it a week ago yeah so I think that the first thing that you should do is if you if you have a rented flat just or a rented house get things that could go in any house so get ornaments or prints or things that would you you would like in any house don't like obviously don't customize it for your current flat because you're not going to live there forever so for example prints put generic frames on them that would look good on on any wall candles plants all those go a long way and they're not specific to one type of place yeah and i think it's difficult because you want to combine investing in things that you want to take with you and mm. so that you're not just sort of spending money on things that aren't going to last but then it's hard to know I guess what style um to go for I think Pinterest is pretty good that's that's where a lot of my inspiration is well and actually your inspiration because you got me into looking on on there for yeah. inspiration probably <laughs> but I think there's there's certain things that are your style so say you like a plum pot just get it and probably on your next house you'll still like that style so that'll be the style of the house because it's your style um the thing about rented flats is that maybe you can't paint the walls the way you would want them to look or you can't yeah. get a bed the size that it would look right on your next flat like that is the problem that you can't get sizing right but i think in terms of style as long as it's your style you'll be fine for your next place yeah i think that's true so yeah as definitely good to to kind of get those things that you like and that you know that you want to keep I think kind of on that theme I thought about kind of cushions or a throw for the sofa yeah plants we mentioned and I think there's there's kind of a few sort of little things that that came to mind that I've tried to do in my flat after 
Although I actually, just to be fair, I did get some of them sorted out quite quickly. Um, yeah. So, for example, putting nice things around the house. So in the bathroom, putting a really nice hand wash or a nice soap or something like that. Just something that customises the space, makes it feel a bit more like yours. I think having candles, as you mentioned, is really good or a diffuser in a kind of living room something like yeah. that as well is is really good then in when it comes to kind of the the bedroom i've recently put up these wire grids so they're kind of like metal grids yeah <laughs> which, and they're which, so customizable so it can go exactly anyway. exactly so you can put them on put them on your wall or lean them up against the surface and mm. just to be able to pin up photos and uh, drawings and stuff like that tickets it's just memories definitely is kind of it's pretty instant. It makes way it to feel make personal. It. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Having having things in the living also don't just focus on your room. Put things out on the living room. Like I think the cushions are a great idea because cushions are yeah. really easy to move. You're gonna put them on every sofa. So get like nice cushions. I think Frey's got his covers from like Amazon or something. Very easy. Yeah, they're not. There's a lot of places where you can can get them. Just get nice <laughs> cushion covers. If you have bought a house and you're wondering how to make it look like home, because sometimes when you buy a house, it's a bit old-fashioned or it's a little bit like, this doesn't quite feel mine. For that, I think you you should like just sort of make plans for the long term, like what colour you'll eventually want the walls, if you want remodelling, like just have a plan on how you're going to want to make it look yeah. eventually and that will just keep you going and you'll buy things according to that plan. Yeah. So you'll get your next sofa according to the color scheme of your living room. And yeah. For sure. I think that those are just easy ways without needing like a professional decorator. Yeah. <laughs> that you can just do. And exactly. Yeah. One thing that I'm not sure if is an easy or a hard thing to do is to actually avoid things getting too messy and cluttered. Yeah. Because I know in my room, for example, at the moment and for quite some time, it's been really messy and it sort of feels like I've not, it almost feels like I've not moved in when things are just lying around. And I think it would actually feel a lot more kind of comfortable and homely if it were were a Clean. bit tidier, really, yeah. One of the best bits about having, even if it's a rented flat, just having your own space is, it's tiring, but after you've cleaned, it feels more yours in a way. Yeah. Because you've, you've made an effort with it. And I think that makes it sort of feel very personal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very like I. If I had to sum up main tips, prints on the wall, candles, and plants. Those three things can go a long yeah, way. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like Fraser said, just having like a diffuser or a nice hand wash that you can refill. You don't have to buy a nice hand wash every time. Just refill <laughs> the same. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a little cost cost saving tip. <laughs> yeah. And for example, Fraser's flatmate, and I think this is a really nice idea, has a mint plant in the kitchen that he uses to cook. And that's just, you just get it from Tesco or in Mexico from any supermarket. Just get a plant. And even if it's mint, you just use it for cooking. It feels like it's yours. It just feels like it's your kitchen. Yeah. It's little things like that. For sure. Right, so I think that's it for this week. It was quite a hefty topic at the start. Hopefully we made it a little bit of justice. But Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> any, any suggestions or any extra information that you have, uh, please let us know. And to tell you that we do take it into account about the plastic 
issue last week, I did want to add that there is a movement for plastic straws about disabled people needing plastic straws and how they should they should be available at restaurants. So I did want to add that just oh, in there because it's a very we, very conscious point that is. Yeah, and we did hear feedback, so I I just wanted to put that out there that, <laughs> that maybe some should be available even if people who are abled don't use them, they should be available. Anyway. So, yeah, get in touch with us because we do take in take you into account. Yes, so in my case do um, go ahead. It's at Fraser D. Bell on Twitter and Instagram. And um, on both platforms, that's at underscore Natalia Albin. And we have an email, the Distance Iris Podcast at gmail.com. I did want to throw out there as well in two weeks' time, Fraser is going to be in Mexico City and we're going to make a podcast about long distance relationships. And it's going to be based on questions. So send us questions that you have about being in a long distance relationship or being just in a long term relationship. Yeah, and until uh, and before then, we'll obviously have another episode next week. So we will speak to you then. Thank you so much yes, for listening. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>